Good morning, Branch Church here and everyone online, family, friends. If you're visiting for the first time, we are absolutely excited to have you here and, and would love to be able to greet you before you leave, especially if it's your first time. So when it comes to history, there is something that's easy to do and there's something that is not so easy to do. The easy part is just pointing out events. I think we could all go back in history and point out at least one, if not two events that have happened in the course of the existence of this world. For example, World War II. There was the fall of Constantinople. There was the French Revolution, Civil War, American Revolution. See a theme here? <laughs> What's much harder to do is to explain the significance of those events. Many of you could probably go, oh, yeah, I heard of the French Revolution. Could you explain to me what happened and why it was significant? Oops, that becomes much more difficult. Some things we might be able to, but a lot of them, it's like, I just don't know. I think the greatest benefit comes not in being able to point out the historical event, but in being able to understand the significance of it. And the same thing is true with the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's an easy event to point out. It happened. The Bible says it. We can demonstrate it with tons of evidence, eyewitnesses, and facts. But if someone asked you to explain the significance of it, could you do it? I would venture to guess most of us would not be able to do it. I know that I struggle with it. We know what the cross signifies, right? Jesus died as a substitute sacrifice for our sins. He was like that Old Testament picture, an animal being led to the slaughter, so that way they didn't have to pay for that price themselves. But what about the resurrection? What does that mean? Well, good news. When you leave here today, you will be able to, without a shadow of a doubt, explain the significance of the resurrection. We're gonna break it down to four realities here, four basic realities of what it signifies. Number one, Jesus's resurrection signifies a vindicated life. Turn with me to Acts chapter two, beginning in verse 32. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter two, beginning in verse 32. Acts chapter two records the very first Christian sermon given after Jesus resurrects, he ascends to the right hand of the Father. And in this time, the Holy Spirit comes and people begin to speak the gospel in different languages to those who were there and gathered. And people accuse them. Yeah, you guys are a bunch of drunk guys. What's wrong with you? And Peter's like, it's nine in the morning. Nobody's drunk. There's actually something much more significant going on. And in his sermon, he's going to explain this. And so we catch up in his sermon in verse 32. Peter says, this Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. He says, therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and, re and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. Jump with me to verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. Jesus was crucified by the Romans for being a competing king to Caesar. He was handed over by the Jews because they believed him to be a messianic fraud. And then he went and he died on the cross. And with that, they believed, yep, you're a fraud. You're a fake and a liar. You deserve to die. Modern day vernacular, you're a poser. Now, they probably reason if God would have taken him off the cross, then we would have maybe started to believe you really might be the Messiah 
the Savior. But he didn't. He died. They concluded he's a poser. However, three days later, Jesus resurrects from the dead. And when he resurrected from the dead, God vindicated his life. In other words, God proved Jesus to be true over everybody else. Everything he said, everything he did, everything he talked about God and about the reality of the world and where it was going proved absolutely true. This guy really was the Messiah. He really was the son of God. He really was telling the truth. That means the cross was something much more significant. He wasn't just a criminal. If God raised him, God vindicated and showed that he really was innocent. When God raised Jesus from the life, from the dead, he vindicated his life, showing him to be absolutely true, put his stamp of approval on the life of Jesus. In the 19th century, so the 1800s, there was a man named Ignace Samuelweiss. If you're thinking about naming your child anything, there's some pretty cool names there to choose from. Samuelweiss. And he grew up and he was a doctor in Hungary. And during his time as a doctor, he noticed something about his patients. So there were two groups. The first group were doctors that were running right from doing biopsies than to delivering babies. The second group would just deliver babies. That first group that would come right from doing biopsies, there was a high mortality rate. Women were dying at a much more significant rate in childbirth than the other group. So scratching his head, he wonders, I wonder if it has something to do with washing hands. Now, this was not medical standard at all, washing hands at this time. So he institutes it, and that group begins to wash their hands. And as they did this, the mortality rate went from like 18% down to one, if not less than 1%. All these women's lives were saved because of this. This is amazing. Now, not everybody saw it the same way as him, particularly his boss. For them, bacteria, germs, they weren't on your hands. They were bad smells in the air. And how could men of high society, such as doctors, have dirty hands? No way, right? Eventually, his boss lets him go. And he has kind of a tragic ending where he ends up in a mental hospital and dies. Very sad ending. However, years later, his life is vindicated. As we see, it is absolutely common sense, standard practice now to wash your hands. Right? The doctors come in, and what do they do? They give you your appointment, and they walk out. At least the ones that I've seen. I'm like, your hands are going to just like fall off. You guys do it so much. Surgeries, births, they're wearing gloves, masks, hats, aprons, whatever gowns, whatever you call those things. They're washing their hands all the time. It took some time, but he was vindicated. In the same way, Jesus, three days later, resurrected from the dead, and God put his big stamp of approval, yes, on Jesus' life. Therefore, when you read his life, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you hear what he says, you see the miracles in which he does, when he talks about the reality of God and what God thinks, you have to read it in light of the resurrection. You have to read it in light of he's going to be demonstrated to be absolutely true when God raises him from the dead. Amen. Secondly, Jesus' resurrection signifies victory over the curse of humanity. So in the very beginning, God created all things, the heavens, he created the earth, all creatures, all mankind, and then he takes a step back and he's going to give his evaluation of what he made. Don't we do this? You draw a picture and you step back and go, hmm, looks good. 
you bake some cookies, you take a step back, take a bite of this. Oh, so good. When God took a step back from his creation, do you know what he said? It's very good. It's not just good, it's very good. You could almost see the joy and the passion in which he had made. Everything is just right. It's in order. There's nothing broken. There's nothing wrong. So question, what happened? How does something so good, so very good, become so very bad? How does God's good creation become so broken? Where does disease, pain, and death come from? Well, God tells us it comes from the very beginning. When Adam and Eve, the first two people, ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see, God gave them any tree they could eat of, all this freedom to roam. But he says, you see this? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's mine. Don't eat it because the day you do is the day you will die. Why would they die? Because presumably that is eating of a tree that represented power, which belonged only to God, choosing what is right and wrong. So by eating this, they're declaring, we want to decide what's right and wrong. We are saying no to God and yes to us. So you think of it like this. They're like a plug into a wall and they unplug themselves from God at this moment. There's no life source coming to them. What's going to happen? Their batteries are going to run out and they're eventually going to die. And that's what happened. Death came into their existence, the curse of death. And that curse of death spread to everybody, to all their offspring. In fact, it went into the environment. It went into the ground. This is why work is a lot harder. We see it in the weather, the animals. And you know where it really went in the most, I think? To us as people. We call it depravity. Our brains, our bodies, our wills, they are all depraved. They're broken. That's not to say that we are just 100% evil, but it is to say that we are 100% impacted by this curse all over. Can I get a witness? Anyone feel this? Oh. But Jesus came, and by rising from the dead, he reversed the curse. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3, verse 15. No, 3.13, I apologize. Galatians 3.13. God's word says this. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. How did Jesus reverse the curse? How did he break it? Because he substituted himself in our place and he took the penalty of it, which was death. And then when he took the penalty, it was satisfied. And then when he rose, he broke that curse. It no longer has a hold on humanity. So the fact that he broke it and is freed, he can now bring everyone through it freely who trusts in him and is united to him in faith. Looking back at your past, if you could change one thing, what would you change? I think if we're all honest, and if I press you hard enough, there is something you would want to change. Something you said that you wish you could take back. Something you did you wish you didn't do. Someone you hurt that you wish you didn't hurt. The hard part is, is you look back and there's nothing you can really do about it, right? It, it happened. You have to live with the consequences and the guilt and the struggle and the brokenness of that. But when Jesus rose from the dead, 
he actually changed the whole trajectory, not only of your life, but of your past as well. Those past acts, the curse that you felt, the guilt becomes now freed from it. God does not hold it against you. You are completely forgiven from it because he died and he rose again. It's easy to get caught up in our past. It's easy to be bogged down. But Jesus has set you free from that. He has broken that. He has reversed the curse. We have a program called Canva in which I use to do some of our things online that we send you in the newsletter. I become a big fan of it. And I'm self-taught, which means it's not that hard to use. And there's this great button on there that looks like this. And you push it, and it will erase the mistake. And I can go back to working the way I was. When Jesus rose from the dead, he reversed the curse. He reversed the brokenness, the trajectory you were on. Think of it like this. Christianity can be thought of in four major stages. There was creation. It was good. And then we went into the fall. Everything was broken because of the curse. The third step is this redemption where Christ substituted, rose from the dead, and he changed the whole trajectory. The fall is now broken. It is now different. And then one day there will be the new heavens and the new earth. Today, Jesus offers freedom from that curse. Go with me to Revelation 22, verse 3. The last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, verse 3. Speaking of the new heavens and the new earth, that fourth stage, that consummation where everything will be fixed, evil and wickedness will be removed into hell forever. It says this, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him. Today you can be free from that curse and the new heavens and the new earth, it will be completely removed. That means no more death, no more brokenness. You will not be able to sin if death is the penalty of sin, you won't be able to sin anymore. It's almost like a cartoon. You remember the ones where they fall off the cliff and they just seem to keep going? I don't know what that looks like for us. I don't know if we'll be able to do that, but let's say we did. You won't die. You won't be able to sin. You won't be able to separate yourself from God. God will permanently fix you to him forever by his grace. Can I get a witness? Amen. Thirdly, Jesus' resurrection signifies defeat of the forces of evil. Go with me to Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. It says this, Having <clears throat> disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So Hebrews chapter two tells us that the devil has the power of death. And it's a tough phrase. Like, what does that mean? He has the power of death. He can just kill anybody he wants. He can just put everyone into a jail cell and I'm in charge of death and death listens to me. I don't think it's necessarily that. Power over death seems to be something like this. He has this accusatory power where he can go and take his finger and go, you messed up. God, do you know about this? Let me, let me take you to God, and I will tell God how terrible of a person that you are. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he disarmed Satan's ability to do that because he took your guilt and sin on the cross. 
The devil can no longer go, you didn't do this. You didn't fulfill the law. You messed up. You better fix that or else. No, he can't do that. And neither can any of his followers. And then it says this, having done this, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. In it is important here. It could be referring to the cross. This is all the cross it could be. Or in it, it could be the resurrection. It's hard to know for sure. I'm leaning towards the resurrection. So I could be wrong here, but here's the progression of what I see. The cross, he disarms Satan's ability to accuse you. And then when he resurrects, he publicly triumphs and shows himself victorious. See, they were expecting Jesus to show up in a hearse, to be buried, and to stay buried. And that's where he's at. But he comes in, guns blazing, on a horse, flags flying. You can imagine their faces and, and their jaws hitting the ground. Oh my goodness, what just happened? Yes, God has raised him from the dead. They're powerless over you. Imagine that you were in trouble with the law and you were taken to court. I know this would happen to none of you, so you just have to really pretend with me. Imagine that you are being tried for a serious crime in front of a judge prosecutor, defendant, and trial by your peers. And you go through and the jury comes out with the verdict. And the jury says, not guilty. Judge hits the gavel, you're set free, you leave, you take a deep breath, you go outside, you put your face towards the sun, and you smile and just say, thank you, Lord. Three weeks later, you hear a pounding at your door. Boom, boom, boom. It was the prosecutor, he shows up, and he starts berating you. You're guilty. I know you are. I'm going to get you. I'm coming after you. I'm going to file this and just start. And you you panic. You get scared. Oh, oh, am I really in trouble? I thought I was good and now I'm not. And then you call your lawyer and your lawyer's like, don't listen to him. Shut your door. You're good. Can't be tried for the same crime. You're free. Take a deep breath. Everything's okay. We can feel like that in life sometimes when the devil comes pointing, when our own consciousness come accusing. But you need to call your advocate, our Lord Jesus Christ, and be reminded of his death and resurrection and that there's no power over you in which the devil can bring and now accuse you. And we know this especially because in Ephesians chapter one, verses 19 through 23, somewhere around there, when God raised Jesus from the dead, he set him far above all rule and power and authority over everything else. So who gets the last say in your life? Jesus does, not the devil, not even your own conscience, which can be broken sometimes, amen? Fourthly and lastly here, the significance of the resurrection. And this one was joyous, new joyous to me in standing out because I hadn't really understood this myself. This was so exciting. Colossians, go to Colossians 1.18. The fourth thing the resurrection signifies here is the beginning of the new creation the beginning of everlasting life. Colossians 1.18, referring to Jesus, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. It's the phrase here, the firstborn from the dead that I want to draw your attention to. When he got up from the grave, he was the firstborn, the first one to do it in a far different way. When he raised, he was not resuscitated to an old order of existence. 
as if he remained his old Adam-like body and just continued on in the broken creation, the fall that it was. No, when he raised, he was raised to a new order of existence. The new creation came into the world and Jesus now is experiencing it for the first time, showing us what will happen to us. Going back to our, our four pillars here, creation, fall, redemption, consummation. Jesus took that end consummation, the new heavens and the new earth, and he put it into time and we watched it. He is far different. And what he will be, we also will follow in his footsteps when God raises us from the dead, that is those who believe in Jesus. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 42. Paul the Apostle writes, and he says this. He says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. So the analogy here is this. Our bodies will go into the ground, and they will go like a seed. God will then raise us up out of that seed, but the seed will crack in a sense and spring something totally new. Something like our old bodies, but something new. And he describes it here. It will go in in corruption. Your body will go into the ground, a corrupted thing that is on the constant decay towards death. Does anyone feel that? But it will be raised incorruptible. That is, it will be raised with the inability to decay and to break down. In other words, it will go the opposite. It will be flourishing. Oh, sign me up for that. He says this. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. Dishonor speaks of the lowly, miserable estate of our body. You think about someone who maybe is dishonorably discharged from the military. Our bodies are kind of like that. They're lowly, they're, they're associated with this old order of existence, even associated with the old order of guilt and shame in which we lived in these bodies. But... When God raises it, it will be raised in glory, no longer dishonorable, no longer lowly and miserable. It will be no longer associated at all with the old creation and the sin and the guilt and the shame in which we walked in it. There's more. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Your body will be sown as a frail, frustrated thing. Can I get a witness? Does anybody feel this? the aches and the pains, the inability to do what you want to do, the inability to obey, that will no longer be the case. That body will be put into the ground and you'll be raised in power. Power is the ability to do. You will have the ability to walk with God and to obey him and to actually do what you were made to do. Last one he gives here. It'll, it is sown a natural body. It'll be raised a spiritual body. The natural body pictures these finite, frail, frustrated things, the body devoid of the spirit, devoid of that full transformation, that old picture of Adam, but it will be raised new, a spiritual body. What is a spiritual body? A spiritual body is a body that is likely dominated by the Holy Spirit, a body that has the full, full characterization of the Holy Spirit at all times. It's like the Holy Spirit took over, took the wheel. You're still you. You're still making conscious choices, but you could actually live the way you were meant to live now. 
the way that we were always meant to live, empowered, fully dominated by the Holy Spirit. So when we read passages like the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, I think verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. You will be 100% living these things out all the time, unable to sin, fully joyful in fellowship with God and serving him for eternity. Does that not sound like good news and like incredible hope? Now, let's be careful not to just throw our bodies down and just beat them up and talk trash about them. They're still made in God's image, right? We're still in God's image and they're still good creation, just a broken one. Thank God that he will restore and give us new bodies one day. So as we look at the resurrection, again, it's easy to point it out that it happened. He rose from the dead. John says it, Peter says it, Paul says it, they all say it, right? Over 500 witnesses. But what does it actually mean? It means that there is a new and everlasting beginning that has started. There is a new and an everlasting beginning that has started, that God now calls us to be a part of. We see in the resurrection, Jesus was vindicated. He's absolutely true above everybody else. We see that he broke the curse, which we are all infected by. We see that he defeated God's enemies and he brought in the new creation already. Now, here's the thing. God does not call you just to know the event happened. He doesn't call you just to understand what the significance of it was. God calls you to repent of your sins and to believe in this specific event. He wants you to put your faith and your trust in this event, in the person in this event. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you trust him? Can you walk with him? Can you walk with him even if people make fun of him and make fun of you? The answer is absolutely, without of a doubt, yes, because he rose from the dead. Here's the thing about death. Every single person will have to encounter death. You can't escape it. There's no hiding. And once you, it, once you come to it, you will lose. You will go into the ground and you will stay there. We're not worried about Grandpa Jojo or Uncle Bob showing up at the next family reunion who have passed away because we know that dead people don't get up. But when Jesus got up, he changed everything. And we too, who believe in him, will get up. Romans 10, 9 says it the simplistic way that I can think of it. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We are not trusting in our good works to save us and make us right with God. We're not trusting in our love towards God. We're not trusting in our ability to obey or repent or understand. You are trusting in the person of Jesus Christ. And you come and you fall before him and say, yes, it's you. You are the risen Lord. I believe that when God raised you, he stamped you with approval. I give you my life. Save me. I'm yours. And the good news is that he'll make you his. You will become his child and you will be a part of the new creation when it comes in the future. Amen. Today's the day of salvation. Do not leave here. Do not go to bed tonight without you calling upon the name of the Lord. You see, it's not me giving you this perfect prayer to say. It's you calling on the name of the Lord. And when you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Put your faith in him today. Amen. He is risen. Oh, what a morning. Let's pray and then we'll, we'll continue to praise him in song. Thank you, Lord, for your incredible power to defeat what we could not, 
your amazing love to give us what we do deserve and your continued patience to walk with us. Lord, draw your people, save your people, save everyone here today. And it's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.